Thank you for listening to the Saturday Night Supper Club podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Bob Holloway, continuing his series, The Calling, about spiritual gifts. Pastor Bob is a trusted friend of Saturday Night Supper Club, and he always shares with a lot of wisdom and knowledge from personal experience. He studied biblical text for years and years, and we love hearing from him. He especially shares in a way that makes biblical truths and concepts really approachable, and um, he demystifies, you know, what even are spiritual gifts? What are they for, and how can we practically use them to love one another well? Let's hear from Pastor Bob. This is uh, actually, I'm teaching on the subject of spiritual gifts, and this is part two of something I'm calling the calling. It's um, actually, um, I'm doing this different than I've ever done it before after years and years of teaching on this subject. This is different, and I don't know why, it just, it just went that way. So this is new to me too, and so let's see how it goes, okay? This is uh, going to be different, but thank you for coming tonight. Um, and I've been doing this, this subject for years, and to be honest, the information about gifting and style and conviction, all the things were on those worksheets, um, they're all pretty easy to identify. I think if I sat down with you, we could probably go through those little worksheets in about 30 minutes and probably nail just about all that information pretty quick. So that's not really what I want to talk about so much. We could probably do that pretty quick. And, and move through it. So I want to talk about a little bit more than that. All the classes I've taught to this point were never really about the information anyway. They were always about the interpretation of the information. Anytime, how many of you were able to, I don't want to embarrass anyone, who picked up the worksheets, the assessment test last time? All right, so if you had one of those and you were able to work through that and complete it, then you got a kind of a picture of what we're talking about tonight. If you didn't, that's okay. I'm going to do a little kind of a summary to let you know what was on that information. And if you decide you want to do it last month, uh, next month, then uh, and you want to sit down and talk to me about it, I'm going to make myself available to for appointments, and we can sit down and just chat about the material. Is that okay? So what did all that information mean? How do we make it work in real life and what do I do with it? Those are the hard questions about spiritual gifts and style and the things that are on those assessment sheets. It gives you the information, but it's just data. It's just information. It really doesn't, you can't interpret it into what it means in your life. So when it comes to the information gifting, all I pretty much leave that up to your gathering skills. If you want to do it, you can. If you're motivated to find out more about yourself and your gifting and that sort of thing, then you will. And if you want to follow up on that, I'm available. How's that? I think Paula made a copy available somewhere, didn't you? I think you meant to. Your intentions were really honorable. Okay. But we will have those available to you. And there's a word copy somewhere that we could attach somehow. So historically, we've always had the, <laughs> we've had the problem of myopia. Do you know what that is? This nearsightedness, yeah. So we we always see the forest. Uh, we we see the tr in my case, I see the trees, and I can't see the forest. But here's the situation. And when we teach on spiritual gifts, we always focus on all the gifts, and we never see the big picture. I always did the classes, and everybody came in and wanted to get the 
the, the, the bullets and the information, but we never saw the big picture. Tonight, I'm going to back away, and I'm going to do a wide-angle lens. I'm going to do a big picture on spiritual gifts, and I'm going to give you a wide-angle shot instead of all the little close-ups. So I'm going to, if we do it right, the assessment test is going to combine, combine various aspects of your unique calling. And it, what it does, it gives you all your spiritual gifts. It would also tell you about your personal style. It would also tell you about your passions and your heart and things that you really have desired and motivation to go do. Those are the things you would have assessed in these tests had you done them. It's the same thing in my classes. People would show up and say, oh, was I supposed to do that? And I said, yeah, you were supposed to do that. So, but I knew you wouldn't, so I'm prepared today to teach anyway. So many times in the past, this is what's funny. People would come to my classes and they say, Bob, you know, you've been doing this for years. And so what we've really come here, they've come expecting me to be the guru and to be the person with all the wisdom. And I'm going to impart this wisdom to them. And somehow they're going to walk out of this class and they're going to know all about their calling. And I assure you, I am not that person. Can we just settle that right now? But it always reminds me of a story I'm going to tell. And it's, it's, it goes like this. There was a guy who climbed an incredibly high mountain in search of a world-famous mystic, who in fact was a guru. He was reputed to have all the answers to life. And so after, after days of climbing this huge mountain, this guy was exhausted. When he finally crested the last plateau, uh, he saw this famous man of wisdom sitting cross-legged on this cliff, and he, he approached him cautiously, and he asked him meekly, he says, Teacher, I want to know the meaning of life. Can you sum it up for me? And the guru looked at him intently and replied with great insight, Have you tried Google? <laughs> and so I say that, but I know it's not really funny. But what, he, what I'm saying is nobody's really got this information. You could go on, you could Google it, and you could ask questions like that. In fact, you could pick up your iPhone and ask that question. And you know what you get? Have you tried it? Yeah. And she will say, it's something to do with chocolate. Because I did it. <laughs> and you go on Google, and you'll get pages of, of people who are not very smart giving you answers from all kinds of philosophical background stuff that none of it makes sense, and most of it's wrong. So, so when I said that, it's, the joke is, even the mystics don't really know. But we can turn to one source and be relatively sure that we'll get a good answer. And so the story reminds me of, of me coming through my own development where I asked Jesus time and again to tell me, Lord, what is my calling? What is my purpose? What is my reason for being here? I would go to him time and again. And the, the big picture is what he would give me. He wouldn't give me the the nitty-gritty, go, Bob, on this day and do this and become this person. He would always give me a big picture. He would always give me, this is my plan, and you fit in it, Bob. You're part of what I'm doing. Come and be with me. And this is, this is I, I'm going to give you two verses, I think, that are Jesus' mission statement. I've given you one about a month ago, maybe two months ago. I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to mention both of those. But one of them is Matthew 22, 33. And, and 
I'm going to read this to you. And by the way, we're not the only ones that have ever asked this question. Because it's the passage starts off and the people uh, in the scripture are asking Jesus the same question. They came to him because they had heard that his teaching was just absolutely incredible. And he was full of wisdom. And everyone who heard him teach was overwhelmed with the things he taught. Are you familiar with those, that kind of verb? So it starts off in Matthew 22. And he says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. One of them, an expert in the Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is unselfishly. Seek the best or higher good for others. So Jesus said, um, the whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. In other words, I think I'd mentioned it before. Everything you've read up to now for thousands of years can be summed up in these two things. And going forward, I want you to know this is, this is it. So, so how does loving God with this, this, how does loving God with an insane passion and loving people with a completely unselfish way help me understand the meaning of life? How does that come together? So this is really the forest. And the trees are all the minutiae and the information that goes into this. So let me just put this together for you. What's important is to understand, Jesus said, there's only one thing that's important. And he says it's really in two parts. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And begin to, to learn to love each other in an unselfish way. And all the details are secondary. Now, let me tell you, those details are important because they're the how. And that's the question we were talking about tonight. What is the how? But I want you to know the what and the who were really important because they tell us where we're going to go do these things. So that's, don't get me wrong, the trees are important, but getting the big picture is primary. And now we can ask the how questions. Because how we show love to God and others is, is often quite different, have you noticed? Because each of us is unique and different. And then how we express love to others is going to look different, isn't it? You do this. Okay, just tra track with me. So we're, we're each unique in our design. So we can only be successful if we understand our design and move in that design. So if you are different than me, I can't expect that you're going to do things the way I do. Then my expression of love to people is going to look different than your expression of love to people. And how we do that is going to be expressed through our gifting, our personality, our style, and our passion. So it's important that we know these things so that we know how to find our expression of love to people. Now, is this coming together at all yet? I'm going to tidy it up in a moment because this is the how, but I want you to know the who and the what was real important because this is the big picture. Let me read the other scripture. This is where it gets really good because this is the book of John, 1 John, and this is the apostle who lived that lived all the other apostles. And by this time, when he's writing these books, he's got the maturity. Now, I don't remember how old he was, but he was really old. He's older than I am. <laughs> so this is First John 4. 
And he says this, dear friends, let us practice loving each other. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me that we probably enter into some kind of situation where we begin to go out and probably not doing it really well, but we'll go practice it with each other and we'll get better as we move through this. But let us practice loving each other. For love comes from God and those who are loving and kind show that they are the children of God. So it says here, those who are loving and kind show they are children of God and they are getting to know him better. So that I could, we could just take that one line right there and make a whole message, but I want to build on that. So let me give you a key one-liner here. Loving God will always lead to loving people. And if you don't love people, go back and check your love for God. Is that fair? Yeah, that's biblical. <laughs> and loving each other may require us to do some practice. If you're not good at it, it's okay. Well, let's, let's go find out how to do it better. Is that fair? Thank you for that nod there, Tim. I appreciate that. All right. Also, the love we need, we actually get from God. It's not something we grind out and we grit our teeth and make ourselves go do. If you don't have it in your heart, you turn to him and say, hey, I don't have any of this to give. And he says, no problem. I've told you to go do that. I can give you the goods. Just turn to me and let me give it to you and you be obedient. And when you go to do what I've told you to do, it'll be there. Is that fair? Of course it is, because he is always fair and just, isn't he? It's, it's not something we have to work up. We get it as we turn to him in our time together, and we ask for it. John goes on to say in verse 11, and this just gets better. Dear friends, since God loved us as much as that, we surely ought to love each other too. For though we have never yet seen God, when we love each other, God lives in us. And his love within us grows even stronger. Now, I don't know if you caught that. But let me go back and tell you something that you just missed, I think. There's an order in that sentence. John didn't say that God lives in us and then we love each other. He said when we love each other, God lives in us. So he's saying when you're obedient to do what I've told you to do, I'll be there. So I'm telling you, go love each other. Go practice loving each other, and I'll be there. Go do it. Go practice it. Even if you're not good at it, just do it. Be practicing and use the things I've given you, and I'll be there to support you and give you the ability. And guess what? It'll go really well. And by the way, while you're at it, you're going to grow up. That was the other part of that sentence. So part of our maturing and our growing up happens as we go and do the things God's called us to do. He meets us there and gives us the ability as we obey. But part of this is us going out to do it. You understand? Okay. So when we love each other, God lives in us. It sounds like when we decide to be obedient, to practice loving people, God shows up to empower our decision and actually helps us grow up as believers as we move through the practice time. Isn't that just sweet of him? He knows we're not really good at this. All he wants us to do is say, yes, I will, and I'll go out and, and I'll try. And he says, that's good enough. I'll meet you there. By the way, further along in verses 16 and 17, the Passion Bible reads like this. And, and, it says this, God is love. 
period. This is the essence of what, who God is. And it, everything that he does and shows and, and manifests himself as and his, and his whole experience is God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God. And God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us. That, the means to expressing that love is described through what we have called an assessment profile. So the means to expressing love you can find in your gifting. God's created you in a unique way. Let me give you some language from a man named Arthur Miller, Jr., Maybe this will help you. I, I like the language. He says, perhaps you're unaware of the fact that you are the customized expression of a loving God. Your life has meaning built into it. You are unique and you are the customized expression of a loving God. Your life has meaning built into it. There's something about you that's unique in your design that was meant to be a certain expression of God that no one else can do in the way that you can do it. I've observed that most people want the information about who they are and their gifting, but they have a curiosity about it that kind of sounds like something like, I'd like to know about my family genealogy so I can put that in a book somewhere. But that's not what God had in mind. He said, I want to give you this information so that you can go out and practice it, not so that you can put it on a shelf. You get it? Okay, so for years I've taught this information, given this information, and helped people find application in this, trying to get this thing with, with some forward motion to engage people in the activity of going out and practicing. You get it? So I thought it interesting when I read Rick Joyner's comment. This is a great quote. Knowledge fills our lives but wisdom builds them. Let me rephrase that. We may seek knowledge when many times what we really need is wisdom. We don't need more information. What we need is the wisdom to apply what information we already have. Would you agree with me for the most part? See, more knowledge does not engage the process, but applying that knowledge and wisdom will always give us direction. Thank you. <laughs> Here's a good one. You don't need to know everything about electricity to turn the switch on. Right? I don't need to know how that electricity gets there and, and goes and turns that light. All I need to do is flip the switch. And it doesn't take a whole lot of faith now that I've done it once. And what I'm saying is, God's saying if you'll flip the switch, I'll make the light work. You with me? Okay, so what we're talking about tonight is something different. It's called the activation of the church. Is that okay if I say that? Okay, so we're going to talk about three things. And I'll make this sweet so we can go eat. <laughs> we often refer to giftedness as the what of ministry. These are, this is the tools. And you know, I ran off and left my prop in the car, but I can tell you all about it. <laughs> I had a prop I was going to bring in, and we got to unloading food and doing all kinds of stuff, and I left it in the car, but I can describe it perfectly. The gifts are only the vehicles or the tools to show in love to, of the God to people. They're just tools. They're, they're not the wherewithal. They're not the substance. They're simply vehicles of expression. They're things. 
But the gifts open the way of the flow of something called passion. Now, let me say it this way. I had to think about how to tell you this in a way that made sense. Let me see if this works. Passion switches on the gifts. It's the light switch. And gives them somewhere to go and something to do. And I'll explain that in a minute. Because third, the third assessment, that's, that's about passion and heart. So we've got gifts, we've got passion and heart, and then we have something called style or personality. So these three, three things in com, combined together, fit together in something we call maybe a cluster. And with all this combined, it creates a unique thing that everyone has. And every, as long as I've been doing this, I have seldom seen anybody come through my classes where I see two or three of these that are alike. I may see the gifts that are alike, and I may see some personality types that are alike, but I seldom see them play out in passion the same. Because everyone has a different passion because it's based differently on their history and their genealogy and a whole lot of different things in their history that makes for a different kind of passion. Now let me put that together for you in a real life picture. This is what I meant to do, and I, I made a boo-boo. So I was going to bring in a, um, a bush trimmer, a um, hedge trimmer. You know what that is? You just got one of these things, you turn it on and plug it in the wall. Anyway, it's, it's a piece of equipment. I was going to set it down and say this is a, like a gift. It's just a tool. It's, in, my, in my case, it's a cursed tool, and I hate it because I, it, it, I, I had, the only passion I have for that is hatred. I hate yard work. I can walk out in the yard, and my life ebbs and flows, and I, I just, don't I, Janet? I just hate yard work. I would rather hire anybody to do yard work, and so this thing, I just keep it there to just keep the hedge trimmed when I have to, just to keep from paying money. So this thing, it is, it is a tool. It has power that goes into it I know how to plug it in but somehow it just sits there it doesn't do anything on its own and you know why because I have no passion for making it work I have no conviction that it's, it's I've been called to use it for anything to change the world it's just but it's better than one of these things here you ever used one of those manual ones? You can get cramps in no time at all. <laughs> and I have nine shrubs in my yard. That's the curse. And so, and what's our fellow's name that does the yard? The Hispanic fellow? Yeah, Dimas Gonzalez is blessed. Him and his team come in and they can knock that thing out. It's like all it takes is cash. You know, and I am I am honored to be able to pay him. <laughs> but I I I I am not that kind of person and I have I have come to grips with that <laughs> you know and so I allow other people I don't clean glass well you know I'll do that when I have to there's just certain things I don't do but if you talk about people and changing their lives something in me comes alive and you can't shut me up because my gift is a speaking gift, and it has to do with encouragement and teaching. And then things began to churn. See, there's a difference, isn't there? And so we just have to get me in the right ballpark with the right people and the right timing, and then my gifts get switched on. You get it? 
My brother-in-law, on the other hand, in Dallas, lives on a golf course, and he thrives in his yard. He's had the house of the month. How many times, Janet? They take pictures of his home, and he sends them to me on the emails. Yeah, and, and so I, I pray for him, and he pities me. And, and, and so anyway, he just wins awards, and it's just a beautiful home. And he, and he thrives on that. He loves to get out and work in his yard, but they have constant temperatures and that sort of thing. Anyway, anyway, the, so here. Anyway, that's, that's uh, I think, a good example. All that to say, gifts were never intended to stand alone. They require supporting elements to function. The assessment test simply take the gifts and the style and the passion and put them all together and they kind of describe something about the person that helps them find their way. And I think it's very helpful for people to find their way if they want to. I don't know anyone who wouldn't want to find out. I shouldn't say that. There's people who don't want to find out more. They just want to move through life and just to somehow make a living and get to the end of it. And it's a depressing thing. But I know people like that. Now, for the first part of this assessment th test, it was called the character trait assessment. It just it measured 14 functional gifts. And if you decide to do that, it'll measure those gifts and it'll tell you where you are in those 14 gifts. And it'll tell you which ones. And, and we, you, it'll ask you, list your top four or five. And some of them, you know, it'll list them on a summary sheet and you'll be able to post those on a summary. We'll have those on the summary sheet. The second sheet was com something called style. It'll give you a printout of something like this. It looks like it'll measure four different distinctive things, whether or not you're a task person and you like hedge trimmers, <laughs> or you like to manage people who like he hedge trimmers, or whether you are a people person, and those people or task people can be structured or unstructured, right? And there's certain ways that you manage those kinds of people or allow them to ma be managed. For instance, I have... Um, in one of my men's groups, I have a worship leader. You've seen him before, uh, Nathan, Rich. And Nathan is a people person extraordinaire, but he is very unstructured. And so I dare not give him a list of anything because he just loses it. So I just tell him, by the end of the night, I'd like to hear three songs. And I don't care what they are as long as they are anointed and you love them and the people would want to worship to them. Okay, and that's what I do, because he's unstructured. I just say, the end result is this, and, and then I monitor his values. And that's all I do in my management style with him. We have the best relationship. But if I were to give him a list and hold him to that list and have him reporting and that sort of thing, it would ruin our relationship, wouldn't it? Okay, because that would be, he would be a structured kind of person. Or if I had him doing tasks, he would be wanting to find people to visit with, wouldn't he? And that would kill his soul. Okay, so we don't do that. So the third assessment is called the personal conviction assessment. It has to do with finding motivation and passion and heart. It, it uses words like desire and dreams and burdens, things that people, that, that well up in people that cause them to want to go do, to find places and people to connect with. We, one of the verses that I think is a good starting point that I love to work with people on, and it, it, it kind of ties into one of the questions on here, is, is 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. 
I'm going to read it for you because it's a good starting point for anyone who has a question and they want to ponder this and it would ask this question. It starts off, it says, what a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. Everybody's like, yeah, that's the one I serve. That's God. He comforts us and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And then it goes on to say, and why does he do that? Well, because he's good and he loves us. But, oh, but there's some more. So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and comfort God has given us. So one of the questions we always ask people, in what areas has God comforted you and strengthened you? Where has he met you in your time of need and despair and discouragement and hurt and pain? And where has God helped you? And we turn to this verse and say, well, why did he do that? Well, because he loves me and he cares for me. And I said, that's primary, because that's who he is, because God is love. But also he does that so that you can turn and help someone else who's in that same condition. He gives you a soft spot in your heart for people who are in that same condition, so that for the rest of your life you'll always be sensitive to that. Has anyone here ever been sick with a particular thing, and then met someone else who had that same ailment and not felt something for them. Has anyone ever gone through bankruptcy, divorce, any of those crises in your life and not had a soft spot in your heart for other people who've gone through that? Have you ever lost a family member and then not been able to feel compassion for other people? And then is it any wonder that God wants to put you in a position where you're with people like that so that you can minister his love to them? Do you see what I'm saying? It may not develop into a full-time ministry, but certainly situationally, God will want to use you. Am I right? So a good starting place for identifying passion and heart is to look where God has touched you with his heart. Another area of inquiry might be in people you look up to or, or models in your life, people that you admire. Some of the people you admire in your life are people that you actually admire their ministry and their gifting. And it may be that the Lord has made you hungry to move into that same type of ministry. Maybe to not to that level of calling, but certainly to begin to move in some of those same gifts. Or to move into a support role with someone who's operating in those same gifts, possibilities. Those are models. Another is in the area of desires. And I've listed in the handout that I sent Paula, there's a needs questionnaire that I added this time that wasn't in there before. And it's a questionnaire on spiritual gifts in regard to spiritual needs. So when there are needs in, that you recognize in regard to spiritual gifts, it puts them together and pairs them. So if you have certain gifts, it says, well, here's certain needs that these gifts are paired with, and it's easy to go see areas where you might be drawn. Does that make sense? It would if you saw it. There are other things like, well, I'm just saying, if you had it in front of you, it would make more sense than me explaining it. So there's things like people groups. There are certain people groups that would certainly draw you, um, especially um, 
if you've been through a certain area of your life and you and you had experiences as at a certain age or in certain groups you might be more tender toward those particular people there's also social issues environmental issues discipleship violence education reaching the lost poverty hunger you, it goes on and on and on any of those things that have touched your life you might be more sensitive to want to go back and maybe help someone in those same areas you see what i'm saying okay those are the things we might want to work through when we sat down and talked and had an interview. If I sat down and talked to you, have you ever been involved in any of those things? Is there anything there that poses any interest to you? And then uh, un under ministry passion, there's a whole list of things that churches have listed that are ministry opportunities where if you're in a church or working through a church in the community there's opportunities that are associated with certain gifts where there's checklists where you can check those things off and you can go practice now this is where i've told people in the past i don't recommend anyone go and just dive into ministry i really don't i tell people all the time don't do that don't because the church will burn you up can i just say that so I tell people, you go and visit and tell people, I'm just here to check out ministry and just to visit. And if you visit enough places and you find something you like, then go give them a short-term commitment of a month and just visit for a month and continue in that vein. And if you really like something, then give them a six-month commitment and say at the end of six months, I'll decide whether I stay or not. And that way you have preserved your integrity and you've given them a commitment that they can depend on and they can move through that commitment and know that they have you for that period of time. Does that make sense? And then everybody's happy and no one's heart's broken, right? So then I've got all this listed in the forms. I just want to give you a broad sweep. I think, though, the important thing for us to learn tonight is this. Let's sum it up. When Jesus was pressed by religious people to sum it all up, he said the two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Learn to do that. Learn what it means to worship God with your words and with your life. And part of serving God with your life is to love his people. See what I'm saying? And you learn to do that by practicing. And if you don't have it, ask him. He'll give you a heart and he'll give you gifts and he'll give you his um, presence to help you learn how to do that well. All it takes is your agreement. And nobody can make that happen. That has to be something you have to become obedient to. As you say, you know what, Lord, I want to grow up. I want to become a mature believer. And I know it begins by saying I'm immature and I'd like to grow up and become better at this. And I'd like to practice. And we start you off in an area where we know that you're going to be somewhat successful and we can celebrate you and your successes and we can help you in your discipleship and help you grow. And as you grow, you gain confidence and faith and courage. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And you do that in an environment where there is no such word as failure and everything is celebrated. Can you agree with that? So what does it mean to love God? I give to God through my words and expressions of obedience. That's my worship. And my obedience includes my service to him and his people through my gifts and personality and passion. And what better way to do that than the way God has designed you? Amen. I've got some other things to hand out, and I will if you want them. I'm going to pray for you, and uh, I'll follow up. Anybody wants to talk about this more, 
I'm available, and then we can set up other private times where we can do coffee and talk about this, and we can go through forms or whatever you want to do. How's that? Does that work? So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about growing up and serving you and loving your people and practicing that in a way that would help us to become mature and to please you. I know you're always pleased when we say yes to you. And we want to do that more often. We Sometimes we just don't know what that looks like or what you really need. And sometimes we're just afraid because we don't know how. This is how. You've given us everything that's necessary for a life that's full of righteousness and service. Everything we need is in your spirit. And you live in us. You're ready. You're waiting for an answer. Thank you for tonight. And you're wonderful people here. We say we love you. We want to love you with all our hearts. We want to be those people that um, please you always. And we will be by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to the SNSC podcast. Make sure you subscribe so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest episodes. We hear from a different speaker every week, so we always have a variety of topics and you don't want to miss out. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash SNSupperClub, and that's our handle on Twitter and on Instagram, so make sure you follow us there too. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>